Hello, so welcome to the second episode of Methodology X. Still early days, so thank you for sticking with me as I stumble my way to, I mean, I don't want to say success, mediocrity, I guess would be fair at this stage. So thank you. Now, I'm doing this episode a little bit differently. I'm currently lying down on my back in the middle of Richmond Park. A deer just walked past me and I couldn't be more chilled and the sun couldn't be brighter and the sky couldn't be bluer. So I'm in a very chilled place. However, I've got to drive back and see a client in about half an hour. So I need to do this in one take and I didn't really plan my day really well. So I hope it goes well. I'll try and be succinct. What I'm gonna talk about today is the concept of beliefs. It's gonna talk about briefly what they are. We're gonna talk about limiting beliefs, how to change them. And that's about it really. So I can't imagine it will take too long. Now, let's talk about beliefs. So beliefs, the way I look at them, are the, they're not just things which are true or think are true. I think that's too basic. I see them as kind of the mental infrastructure of how we interpret and navigate through the world. And they're essential. I mean, I was just thinking about this before I press record. Imagine having no beliefs whatsoever. Just imagine living the next 24 hours with no beliefs. It'd be mental. I mean, you wouldn't be able to make any decisions. Like the person next to you, are they an enemy? Are they your lover? Are they food? I mean, you wouldn't even know. Is gravity real? It's like, are you real or are you just a dream? Literally, you'll have an existential like crisis of like nth degree. You wouldn't be able to function, you wouldn't be able to move, you wouldn't be able to do anything. We need beliefs to help us function and navigate through the world. They're essential. Now, because they're so essential, the brain is very good at creating beliefs. Now, this is where the problem lies. The brain is really, really efficient at creating them, but it's not that great at making sure they're accurate. So I guess it favours efficiency over accuracy. And we know that. The more you study neuroscience, the more we come to realise that the brain is very clever, but it's, it does make mistakes here and there. And beliefs is a huge part of that. I mean, so many of us have these beliefs, and when we look at them and when we analyse them, which we're going to do today, we realise that they're not actually true. And they were, you know, they let's say, let's take the belief that you are ugly, okay? Which I'm sure you're not. But let's say, I know some people do feel that way. They feel they're unattractive. Quite often when we look at like why they feel that way, it started off by 25 years ago, some bitchy comment at school, some girl said something, and then you you know it, it affected you. And what happened, that sort of sowed a seed, kind of inception style, and you felt a little bit rubbish about yourself, and you maybe think, oh, maybe I am ugly, because you felt a bit insecure. Now that could be just a passing moment, but then, like two hours later, a boy looked at you, and he stared a bit longer than he should have done, like for five seconds. And because you're feeling a little bit of a negative state, you felt like, oh, he's looking at me because I'm so ugly, and it kind of reinforced it. Well, the reality was he was looking at you because you were so sexy, and you didn't even realise it. And you can see over time, you can find, like, you can justify your beliefs, you can see the truth in your beliefs any way you can. You can justify any kind of belief because there's so many ways of interpreting different events in life. And that's why we have to be so careful. And that's why it's really important every so often to actually sit down and think, hey, what do I believe to be true? And actually analyze it on a big existential level. I think it's good to do that about, like, about God and life and you know the big things. But also on things, you know, my area of expertise is definitely not that, it's about body and well-being. And when I work with people, quite often I'm hit with a limiting belief and it's like, wow, and it's a shame because life is so short and it's hard enough. We don't need to get in our own way by believing things which are either not true or not true and don't serve us. I mean, as a coach, I get to meet and get to know so many people and it's wonderful. It's literally the best job in the world. I love it because I love people. Obviously, I love fitness as well, but I love people and I love hearing 
how they navigate through life and the decisions they make. And uh, I find people fascinating. And um, yeah, so pretty early on in, in all my relationships with clients, they share with me, you know, what works and what doesn't and how their brain works. And uh, their beliefs often come out, not necessarily um, directly, but just in their language they use. When I say, hey, have you thought about doing rock climbing? Oh, no, I'm too old for that. Oh, no, I'm not coordinated enough for that. Oh, no, I can't do that. Then their beliefs become quite apparent to me. Um, so there's so many examples I've got of clients who've had limiting beliefs and they've changed. I think a good one I'd like to use is a, a guy, a young guy I worked with 11 years ago now called Ket. He's a Canadian actor, very talented actor, and he wanted to become more athletic. He said to me, look, I'm, I'm not very coordinated. I'm not sporty. I, I, I don't pick up things very quickly, but I kind of want to be a bit like you and I want to I want to be athletic and I want to learn how to be more in control of my body. Now, we didn't have an actual role to train for at the time. I mean, four weeks later, he got quite a big part in, uh, what's the film called? Clash of the Titans with Sam Worthington. Um, so that, that changed our training. So initially, we were training for coordination and athleticness, and then it very quickly changed to panic mode. We had three months to put on a ton of muscle, so we had to basically become a bodybuilder. <laughs> but the first few weeks was very interesting, and something happened on the very first day, which sowed a seed to change his belief, because that belief he had was completely wrong. Let me explain. So when I meet people for the first time, when I meet clients, I give them an assessment. Now, an assessment usually is about 70% of the time I'm assessing their body, like how it functions, and 30% I assess how their body looks if they're in a career where their looks are important. So if they're a model or an actor or a pop star, then their look is part of their brand, so it makes sense for me to assess how that is and what they really want in terms of how defined they want their arms or how high they want their bum, that kind of stuff. So when I was doing the physical assessment with Ket, um, I did the normal things you'd expect from a trainer. So I was looking at posture and core function and strength and, and um, endurance and uh, mobility, all the kind of normal boring stuff, which I kind of have to do to get a snapshot of where they're at. But I also do a couple of extra things. For Ket, I gave him to balance on a gym ball with his eyes shut. So to get on a gym ball on his knees with his eyes shut and not fall over. Now, the reason I gave him that and I give all my clients at the first time something similar to that is I want to see how quickly they learn something difficult they've never done before. And I want to see how they react when things get tough. So, for example, some people get really frustrated and they get angry. Some people get frustrated and they get defeated. They're like, oh, I can't do it. Some people get frustrated and they get focused. And for me as a coach, it's really handy information to see how they cope with adversity and how they cope when things get difficult. Because I know training with me is gonna be hard because I'm very biased towards yes. hard yes. training. <laughs> My background is training athletes, so I like training people really hard. And also I like throwing in MMA and weapons and parkour and, and difficult skills because I think that's part of my philosophy of, of training of life. I think we should learn how to really be athletic. I mean, we'll talk about this another time. But the point is, I have to kind of do complex skills to really get the answers I need from the assessment. And I also gave him a, a coordination exercise where we did multiplanal movement with, I think, one eye was shut and he was off balance. Just something really complex. And he nailed it, man. He was, he was so good. He, like, he was really quick. He picked it up. And I was really impressed. And I didn't coach him that much. I just explained it and showed it, did the normal things I would to sort of demonstrate an exercise. And then, you know, I said to him, mate, that was really good. You're really athletic. And he goes, oh, that's really weird. Because, you know, when I was doing the dance classes in RADA, it really reminded me how... Un, you know how uncoordinated I was how bad I was I was always like the slowest to pick things up so I asked him how he was taught 
you know, like, you know, how is it done? And it turned out that he was taught in the same way that every dance is taught, by someone at the front of the class who's quite a good dancer, showing the moves and everyone else is copying. Now, the problem with that is that only works if you're a visual learner. And there's many types of learning styles. Like some people learn more from auditory commands, from being talked to. Some people learn more from kinesthetic reasons. And what I found as a, as a coach over the years is that people tend to have a predominant way of learning. It's quite often visual, actually, quite often. Uh, but then they have a secondary way, which takes up about sort of 30 to 40 percent. And then usually the third way is very irrelevant. Now, for Ket, his primary way of learning was kinesthetic learning. And his secondary was auditory. He was a terrible visual learner. That's just not the way his brain worked. Um, this is the way it is. And I guess my experience over the years has shown me there's different learning styles and I've studied this kind of stuff. So for me, it's kind of second nature. Whenever I teach anything, even in an assessment, like if I teach a deadlift quickly, I will always be quiet and demonstrate it. So that will help the visual learners. Then I will stop moving and I'll explain it verbally. That will help the auditory learners. And then I'll physically get my hands on the hips on the back of the client and actually move them in the right position. And that helps the kinesthetic learners. Now I do this as kind of as a standard thing now because it's so ingrained in me because it's all I do is coach. So obviously it's uh, I'm quite good at it. You know, <laughs> One would hope after all these years. So it just becomes like second nature to me. And what I realized was it's like poor Cat, his teacher didn't do that it just did a visual way so his belief should have been that he was taught badly well in fact his belief was like oh i'm not very sporty i'm not very coordinated because he was surrounded by visual learners and he felt the odd one out when you have that first thought that maybe a belief you have is wrong it, it starts to grow you don't need to do anything else about it just being aware that a belief might not be right is enough to crack to crack the code as it were so he started thinking wow maybe i'm not an athletic but then I did think which was really important obviously it was part of my job but this is the key thing for you guys listening if you want to change your belief not only do you have to expose expose it to be false but then you have to take action to reinforce a new belief so for us it was easy because I was teaching him you know fighting skills and movement skills so I was directly giving him new references that he was a good athlete that he was sporty that he was coordinated so within a few weeks this guy had a new belief about himself now, when you have a new belief about yourself, it changes your attitude, it changes your mindset, and it also informs your identity about how you see yourself in the world. That shit is so important. It's, uh, it's so hard. Anyway, I do think life can be really, really tough and can be very unfair, and I do think so many of us walk around with like an albatross on our shoulders. I'm not too sure if that's a phrase. Uh, or a mongoose attached to our hips. That's definitely not a phrase. But... We walk around with this added weight we don't need and having an identity which isn't true and doesn't serve us, it just makes life even harder. So what I want to do now is I want to look at the beliefs you have. I want, I'm going to give you an exercise to help you through this to see if you've got any beliefs regarding your fitness and well-being which are not true and or holding you back because we need to shine a light on those, expose them and generate some new references, new beliefs to help, you, um, to help you be happy and live your life in a most productive way as possible. So I'd like to get a piece of A4 paper, please, and a pen. I'd like to draw three lines, vertical lines, so you're making four columns. On the column on the left, it's gonna be for beliefs. The next column is true, next column is false, the final column is serve. And what we're gonna do is to look at, let's say 20 of your beliefs related to your fitness, your exercise and your body, and nutrition, whatever, you know, related to the whole well-being, 
write 20 of your beliefs down, whatever they may be. Just write them down. And then we're going to have a look at them one at a time. Okay? And we're going to see if they're true, if they're false, and if they serve you. And all we're going to do is think about it. Now, one caveat here. We're going to look at rational beliefs. Now, a rational belief is a philosophical term, which means a belief which is backed by scientific evidence. So, for example, me believing that the Earth is one planet out of many millions and billions of planets is a rational belief because there's scientific evidence to, to prove that. Uh, me being a Buddhist and believing in reincarnation is not a rational belief because that requires faith. There's no evidence of reincarnation. So I want you to look at the beliefs which have got evidence behind them. So rational beliefs as opposed to faith-based beliefs. Okay, Which should be quite straightforward for fitness and well-being. I think most beliefs regarding our body are rational beliefs. So have a look at them and let's see what's the evidence. Have a think. Once you've written them down, what's the evidence that it's true? And write it all down. Think about it. So if it's like, oh, I'm fat, well, right, I'm too fat. Let's say that's one of your beliefs. Well, what is the evidence to suggest that you're too fat? Who said what? What, you know, like go down all the list. Is it because you don't look like that person in vogue? Is it because of this? Write it all down. And by being clear about it, sometimes we can see how ludicrous our beliefs are. Uh, and also next to it, write down what's false about it. Like, why is it false? And put yourself in that mindset of like, okay, I'm going to think it's false. Why could it be false? And that helps you give clarity of thought. So just to recap, so I'm not being massively clear here. I should have really planned what I was going to say more. But to be really clear, you put yourself in the mindset of like, hey, that belief is true. Why is it true? What's the evidence? And you write it clearly down what the evidence is, specific evidence. And then you put in your mindset of like, hey, that's false. So what is the evidence that's false? And I promise you, so many times out of those 20 beliefs, you'll find five or six beliefs which have got no real basis to be there. And as you'll see on the final column, they don't serve you. So that final column, just put a tick or cross if it serves you or doesn't serve you and in relation to living a happy, authentic life, however you define that, okay? So that's my exercise for you. It's, um, it's an awareness building exercise, but there is one other thing, as I talked about with my story about my client, you have to build upon that. You need to build new references. So whatever beliefs you want to sort of change, you need to solidify it. So if it is, oh, I'm, um, I find it hard to lose weight, or it's really hard to lose weight, and you realise, actually, no, it's not hard, it's just because you haven't actually committed properly to a plan where there's um, a calorific deficit and you're building a better machine by training fitter and blah, blah, blah. So then you actually have to not just go, okay, maybe I can lose weight if I do the right things. Then you actually have to lose weight. You have to spend a couple of weeks actually doing all the things which you said you could do to lose weight. And then you'll have the reference. Then you can go back to, you know, eating more and not being skinny. That's fine. But to really solidify the belief, you need to take action and have real references that it's true. Does that make sense? Hopefully it makes sense. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I think I got what I wanted to get across. Across? I think so. Let me know. Uh, next week's episode is all about, well, you know what? I'm going to keep it surprised, but I will tell you that my guest is Sarah Hunt, who's an incredible yoga teacher. I think she's the best yoga teacher in the country, and she's also really good fun and not like other yoga teachers. Um, if you follow her on Instagram, you know what I mean, but I've known Sarah and worked with Sarah for many, many years, and we're going to have a discussion. And uh, yeah, tune in next Wednesday, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it. All right, take care. Bye-bye.